Well, good morning, Living Water. Hope everybody's doing well this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're in John chapter 13 this morning. John chapter 13. When you find it, if you would mind standing for the reading of God's word. John 13. Two verses this morning. Verse 34 and verse 35. Reading from the ESV, we find the words, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Brothers and sisters, the word of the Lord, let us take a moment and pray and ask his blessing upon our time. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, as we prepare to proclaim your word, we come before you with hearts full of gratitude and reverence. We acknowledge that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive your message and to understand your truth that you want to reveal to us. Lord, I pray for those who hear. Please soften hearts and prepare them to receive your word. We pray that you would remove any distractions or obstacles that might prevent them from fully engaging with your truth. We intercede for those who are struggling with doubts and fears, that you would speak to them and give them the reassurance they need. We pray that your word will bring comfort and hope to those who are currently in difficult situations. Father, we ask for your anointing as I proclaim your word. We pray that you would give me the words to speak and use me as a vessel to bring your message to those who need to hear it. Thank you for this awesome privilege of proclaiming your word. May your name be glorified in everything that I say and do. We ask all these things in the name of the precious Lord, Jesus the Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So the week before last, Mike Bongo and I attended a conference in Atlanta, Georgia, with uh, some staff members from two other churches that are located on the West Shore. Uh, on the morning of our return back to Pennsylvania, we left our hotel at 6.15 a.m. in the morning to catch a 6.30 train on the red line headed southbound. It was quiet in the morning, dark, as we made our way down the concrete streets of downtown with our path only lit by the lights from the downtown buildings and signs that were twinkling in the night as we made our way to the Martyr Entrance Station. When we arrived at the Martyr Station, uh, we caught what seemed to be the longest escalator I've ever ridden in my life downward into a hill to make our way to the platform. When we arrived on the platform, it was quiet. There were only a, a couple of other people waiting. Uh, an employee walked past us as instead of the red line, as we expected, the gold line arrived and it said southbound to the airport. So we decided just to jump on that instead and ride it to the airport. Now, in contrast to earlier, some of the warnings we had received about what train cars were like and what we should expect, ours happened to be extremely clean and neat. Uh, th there was no graffiti on them, uh, no abhorrent smells in them. They were great. So we entered the car. The two ladies that we were traveling with made a right and went up and sat a couple of seats on the left. And Bongo and I made a quick left and sat down at the first seats we could find 
and enjoyed the train ride as it pulled off. Now, there were several other people on the train, and we looked around as we talked and saw them, and most people looked like they were just kind of resting there. Some were, looked like they were fully asleep. Most of the people had on headphones, I guess, just to drown out the noise that elicited something on their way to work. And as we went, we were just kind of swayed by the movement of the train as we zoomed by buildings, a few streets with a few cars moving around and lots of signs along the way. And it seemed as if we were just making that trek towards the airport while the city was waking up. So Mike and I, trying not to disturb others, had a quiet conversation on the train when we were interrupted by a loud voice that came from behind us from an unknown source. Her, her voice was so loud that it overshadowed our conversation and caused us to stop talking as she simply said, does anybody have any food or a wreck card? As she repeated her question, she came into view and we saw a, a very thin woman wearing heavily worn jeans, what would look to me like to be a, a tannish, greenish colored, or at least was at one point, sweater covering a dark blue, long-sleeve collared shirt. Her facial features and her demeanor seemed to suggest that she had, for the last few years at least of her life, been living a very hard life. She carried in her hands a red Powerade drink and a half-eaten burger, which she shoved into her mouth after she repeated the question the second time. Now, in response to her request, Melissa, one of the ladies who was traveling with us and serves as one of the pastors at Grantham Church over by Messiah College, uh, responded quickly and reached inside of her bag that she had with her and pulled out a package of trail mix and a pack of crackers and gave it to the lady in response to her request for food. Now, the lady took uh, the, the, the trail mix and the crackers without a word of, of gratitude and plopped down two seats behind them facing the opposite windows. She took a moment to inspect the food that she had been given, sat it behind her for a moment, opened her red Powerade drink and guzzled some of it down. Then she smelled it, poured it on her hands to, to wash her hands, and then she used it to condition her red short hair. She reached back behind her, grabbed the trail mix, ripped it open with her teeth and poured it in her mouth, allowing some of the contents to just simply tumble down to the floor. She lifted up the red Powerade drink, took another sip, placed it between her legs and laid her head back as if she was resting, only as the movement of the train caused the red Powerade to tip over and spill onto the floor like blood running down from the cross. Once we arrived at our destination with no concern seeming to come from her, she stood up, walked briskly toward the airport, leaving behind everything she had been given. A little later that morning, we were in the Atlanta airport. I've never been in an airport so packed in my life. They told me that, uh, Renee told me that this is the, the busiest airport in the world, and I could believe it from the amount of people that were there. So we snaked our way through the line. As we were snaking our way through the line together, Mike, I, Melissa, Renee, we were talking, and I was sharing with Melissa what had happened on the train and what I had witnessed, and Bongo was sharing what he had witnessed. And I just explained to her how I admired how she had chosen to show love 
in that moment, the love of God to this lady that she did not know. And she asked me a question in return that I think I wanted to ask and place before you today. And this is what she said to me. Do we squander God's love that has been so generously given to us? The love that ran down on Calvary's hill for us, do we act like we appreciate what God has done for us? Or have we allowed the hostility of the world to make our love grow cold? To his disciples, the Lord Jesus gave this command. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. So according to our king, love is the defining characteristic of his community. And since we're talking about what are the traits of a genuine church, we must say that a genuine church loves. Now, the reason that we stand out in a world when we choose to love one another and love others is because we know that the world is a very and often unloving place. Take, for instance, last month, a 71-year-old man in Plainfield, Illinois, decided to stab a six-year-old Palestinian boy and his mother, uh, leaving the boy dead and his mother badly wounded because he was angry about the war that's happening in the Middle East. Not a loving act. But it's not just out there that's happening out there. It has also happened within our own church as a member from our own church has made the news for not being loving. See, in a world that is cold and cruel, filled with self-interest and hate, the Lord Jesus says to his followers, love. This morning, I plan to ask five questions about love and answer them from the scriptures with the hope that as we better understand what love is and how we are to love, in response, we'll act and live like a genuine church and that means that we will be a church that loves. So first question, what is love? I answered this question last year in our Advent series, so I just want to remind you of what I said in that series. And this is what I said. Max Anders writes that love is the exercise of one's will for the good of another. And we find biblical evidence in the Old Testament that supports this definition, such as Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 5. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. God protected Israel from being cursed by Balaam because the text says he loved them. We find similar examples in the New Testament. One that we're all familiar with is John 3.16. As we look at that verse, we notice that God has acted in Jesus for our good. The, the verse indicates that God the Father gave Jesus the Son so that through faith in him we would not perish by gaining eternal life. And as Paul goes on to say that Christ dying for us stands throughout all of eternity as the supreme display of God's love for sinners. But there's more to love. We see it in passages like Deuteronomy 6, 4, 11, 3, Matthew chapter 22, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, 
Love seems to also entail a genuine inward component of compassion and care for other people. So with God's actions in mind, in light of these scriptures, I've tried to define love within my own words by saying it this way. Love is a genuine care for the welfare of another person that moves the will to act for their good, even at personal cost. Love is the genuine care for the welfare of another person that moves the will to act for their good, even at personal cost. And that's what God has done for us in Christ. John chapter 3, verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God's actions in Christ should then define for us what it means to love, because as John says, God is love. So that's what love is. But why should we love? Now here we can offer a variety of reasons. I'm going to simply just offer you three. There are more reasons we can draw from the text, but for the sake of time, let me offer you these three reasons. The first one we find in our text, John chapter 13, verse 34. It's pretty straightforward. Christ commanded us to love. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The Lord and his apostles repeatedly inform us that this is the, the primary way that we show love to God and to Jesus is by obeying his command. There are a number of scriptures I could list here, but you get the point. This is his primary way. So then if we love God and Jesus, and there's the condition there, you have to love God and Jesus. And if you do, then you will and I will obey his commands. And what is his command? He commands us to love one another, uh, a command that the apostles reiterate to the churches as they write to him. And just FYI, this is how Jesus lived his life. He said he always did what the father commanded him. And this is how the world knows that he loves the father. He always does what the father commands. Likewise, we're encouraged to do the same. John goes on to offer us another reason. Not only are we commanded to love, but as Christians, we are recipients, as one songwriter put it, of the overwhelming, never-ending love of God. John said we love because he first loved us. See, the scriptures tell us that God sent Jesus into the world to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God has, because of faith in Jesus, forgiven our sins and washed away the scarlet stain of sin on our souls. God has adopted us into his family. We are no longer his enemies. God has given us his Holy Spirit and granted us eternal life. We are his new creations. He has promised us resurrection from the dead and an unfading inheritance in his kingdom with the saints and residence in the new heavens and the new, and the new earth. And God has granted that we experience all of these blessings simply through faith in his son Jesus and not because of works of righteousness that we have had to perform. It is the gift of God. We love because God has loved us was an unimaginable love. Lastly, Paul proclaims to us that love is what the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer. In Galatians chapter 5, a familiar verse, but the, it opens up and it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Brothers and sisters, love is the evidence in your life that you are a Christian. 
and that the Spirit is at work in your life, transforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Every local church, every Christian who walks by the Spirit of God will love because that is the fruit that the Spirit produces in the life of those who belong to him. If there's no love, then you have to ask other questions. Who should we love as a church? Well, Christ has made it clear that the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. Matthew 22, verse 37. Christ goes on to say that we must love him more than we love parents and children. Matthew 10, 37. So these verses, along with the concept of idolatry that God warns us against repeatedly, and we see God discipline others for, specifically Israel, we can conclude this then, that we are to love God more than spouses, relatives, employment, political parties, sports teams, sororities or fraternities, money, comforts, hobbies, social media feeds, entertainment, or anything or anyone else that you can come up with, we're to love God more. One scholar, I like the way he put it, he said this, what Jesus meant by loving God is indicated by his own habits of public worship, private prayer, absolute obedience, by the requirement, him only shalt thou serve, not dividing devotion with mammon, hallowing the divine name in daily business by avoiding empty oaths, by his zeal for the scriptures, his defense of the Sabbath, his unshaken trust and frequent thanksgiving. The second commandment is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Loving our neighbors constantly repeated throughout the New Testament, Matthew 19, 19, Mark 12, 30 through 33, Galatians 5, 14, James 2, 8, and in other passages. Now, when we come to the Good Samaritan parable in Luke chapter 10, we find that Jesus pushes out the boundaries of the definition of neighbor to include anyone in need, be it Jew or Gentile. In our main text for the day, Jesus says in verse 34, to love other followers of Jesus Christ. And that idea is repeated throughout the New Testament. And Jesus goes so far as even to push our love to an area that we might not desire. He says, Love your enemies and pray for them. Dr. White, he sums it up this way. He says, love for one's neighbor is nowhere defined, but everywhere illustrated. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, neighbor is shown to mean anyone near enough to help. And love involves whatever service the neighbor's situation demands. The parable of sheep and goats shows love feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting with kindness the sick and the imprisoned. God commands us to love him above all others and to love other human beings. How do we as a church then show love? How do we show love? Well, the Lord presents us the answer in the very verse that we've read. Notice what the text says. Just as I have loved you. We're to love one another and others in the same way that Jesus loved us. So in the surrounding context of this verse, we have two examples that Jesus gives us of how we are to demonstrate love towards other human beings. The first one is, is, is the preceding verses. 
Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Now, I like what Dr. De Silva has to say here. He brings out the significance as he paraphrases what Jesus was saying to Peter when he writes this. If you, Jesus speaking to Peter, have experienced my washing your feet, Peter, if you've experienced how no act of loving service is beneath me, your Lord and your master, you will know that no act of loving service is beneath you, my disciple and my follower. He continues by giving us examples of how this applies in a church context. He says it's easy to apply this lesson to our life together as a church. If you see something not done that someone else ought to have attended to, especially if you think it's beneath you, remember what Jesus did on the night before he died. If garbage needs emptying, if the sanctuary needs some picking up, if there are crumbs left scattered on the table in the library, if the visitation team isn't getting out to everyone you think they ought to be seeing, if the trustees aren't getting to everything fixed in good time, if the parishioners aren't inviting enough people to our services, you get the idea. Second, he laid down his life for us. The apostles draw upon the fact of what Christ did on the cross as the means to define what it means for us to love others. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, and in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. John writes, but by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world goods and sees his brother need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. See, love moves us to be generous toward others. Love drives us to be evangelistic. Love causes us to forgive when we don't want to forgive. Love keeps us from sinning against one another. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, love is so important that the use of spiritual gifts, generosity, and even self-sacrifice without love have no value. Now, in our church, I've witnessed numerous displays of love. You've heard some this morning, which I'll repeat back to you. I've seen love when one of the elders of our church took a call from someone who was in a desperate emotional state, pain that they were experiencing because they were facing death and they needed someone to talk to. And he listened. He encouraged. He visited and he prayed for the person. I see love when our elders give pastoral care to our congregation by visiting those who are sick or in the hospital or calling those who have not been to church in a while just saying, hey, I'm just calling to check on you. See where you've been. We haven't seen you in a while. That's love. Love is visible when our volunteers in the meal ministry take time and use their resources to prepare a meal and then take it over to someone else's house and deliver it so that they don't have to cook that night. Love is evident when those in our vehicle repair ministry use their knowledge and their skills to, to help uh, repair a vehicle that someone else has and not charge them for the labor of repairing their vehicle. And they do it not just for members of our church, but members of, for, who are of part of our community that have no attachment to our church at all. That's love. I watched an act of love last week as I was walking from the CRC over here to the main building after teaching class. And as I was walking, I noticed to the car that one of our families was giving a ride to another member of church that didn't have transportation. That's love. 
I heard about an act of love and one of our staff members helped out one of our members who needed their child to get to school and the staff member took out time before work schedule, got up earlier and took the child to school so that the parent didn't have to take the child. That's love. I see it when our community group members help each other and they pray for each other. That's love. I've watched it as couples have taken out of their own schedules time and sat down with other couples over weeks to help them resolve struggles in their marriages or relationships so that they can live in the way that God has demanded. That's love. We see it each week when people come here and give of their time when they're not paid and they serve in ministries, perhaps to give a van ride or to serve your coffee or snacks or to serve downstairs in the children's ministry. That's love. And as part, Pastor Mark said, I witnessed it last week as I was out at his house and about 20 people showed up and unloaded his pod in less than an hour. That was love. See, love means behaving like Jesus in our relationships. As 1 Corinthians 13 reminds us, love is patient. It's not easily angered. That means patient. It means that it, love has a long temper. It doesn't get quickly aroused to anger. Love waits without seeking to retaliate when it suffers a wrong. Love is kind. Love shows generosity to those who do not deserve it. Listen to what Jesus himself said. God makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and on the unjust. We've seen an example of this recently with one of the ministries in Lancaster called Off the Streets Ministry that has helped over 6,000 homeless people get off the streets. Love does not envy. Love does not have intense negative feelings when others exceed in life or have some experience of success. We don't get jealous of them. We celebrate when they do well. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. See, love is what protects us from looking at ourselves as superior to someone else. Love does not dishonor others. Love does not act indecently or display shameful behavior. Love does not insist on its own way because love is not selfish. Love does not fail to take in consideration the needs of other people when it's instead of trying to pursue self-gain, self-justification, or self-worth. Love is not resentful. Love does not keep a list of wrongs that others have done to them with the intent of paying them back. Instead, what love does, it says, yes, I know I've experienced evil, but because of what Christ has done for me, I will seek to overcome evil with good. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hope, always perseveres. Now, here in this definition, we realize that we have failed in some areas to love. The good news is that God is patient and kind, and he will help us to love if we ask him, and he is willing to forgive us for our failures because of Christ if we confess our failures to him. That's how we are to, to love. But what happens if we choose not to love? What consequences might we see if we decide that love is not the path that I want to live or the way I want to live my life because love is too costly a thing from what you said in this message? Let me offer two thoughts to you, and perhaps both things can happen in the church. The Church of Corinth illustrates the first thing that can happen in the church when there's no love, divisions. Listen to what Paul said. I appeal to you, brothers. By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, 
but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. A church that does not love will become a divided church. It will be a church with fractured relationships and tension among people and unhealthy conflict, and there will be unaddressed sin issues. See, love covers a multitude of sins, but love also addresses sin when it arises. Where there is no love, there will be no unity. The second outcome is even more concerning. Divine discipline. Divine discipline. So we heard about this last year when Evan preached on a text of the church at Ephesus uh, out of Revelation chapter 2. And I just want to share with you what Evan said last year. When he's speaking about Revelation chapter 2 verse 4, Evan said this. You see, when Jesus explains that the church of Ephesus had lost its first love, he is speaking of the love they have for each other and their neighbors. When we fail at loving our brothers and sisters, we fail at loving God. So what are the consequences of not doing these things? Jesus said that he will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. If a church does not heed the command, Christ will remove its lampstand, which signifies the total destruction of the church. A church can continue only for so long on a loveless course. Without love, it ceases to be a church. Let me sum up what Evan says here. The Lord has determined that a church that does not love is a church that will not last. In closing, recently I had a chance to play a board game, Sorry. Some of you are familiar with it with my kids, my son and my daughter. Now, when it was my daughter's turn, she had a pond at home, one part far, pond far from home, and one pond three spaces from home. When it was her turn, she drew a card and it had a one, which meant that she had the chance to move one of her pawns one space. And she wanted to move the pond that was far from home one space. And I said to her, sweetheart, it would be better for you if you move the pond that's near home one space. But she said in response to me, well, daddy, if I do that, though, the reality is it's much easier for me to draw a three than it is to draw a two. But I reminded her, I said, but if you draw a two, then the, the pawn that, that, that uh, is two spaces from home will receive the fire bonus. That, that pawn will catch on fire. And when it does, not only will it go home, but the other pawn that's far from home will be brought home as well. And you'll end up ultimately winning the game. Now, against her better inclination, she decided to trust her father. <laughs> on her next turn, she drew her card. It was a three, and she just looked at me. And I said to Bella, Bella, trust me. <laughs> her next time came around. She pulled a card. It was a three again. <laughs> and she looked at me again. <laughs> and I said to her again, Bella, trust your father. The next time came around. She turned the card over. It was a two. Her pawn caught fire, went home, and the other pawn that was far from home came home also, and she won the game. Brothers and sisters, we're making our way through life to get home, and God has told us to trust him and love others. 
sometimes when, it, when we seek to obey him, it feels like that our way is better than God's way. We keep drawing threes, and it doesn't seem like God's way is, worked out, is going to work out the way he has said it's going to work out. And we're tempted just to focus on getting home ourselves. But God wants to work through us through love because God's plan is not only to bring us home, but to work through us to bring others home. Because God knows if we'll yield to his spirit, his love will be ablaze in our hearts, and he'll work through us to bring others home as well. Let me give you an example of this. On last Thursday evening, I had a chance to attend the Gideon's Appreciation Dinner, and I was there, and they had several speakers up. One of the speakers shared his testimony about his life, and he talked about how he had grew, grew up in a dysfunctional home, and he experienced a, a tragic event early in his life. And he was, it was very hard for him to share that because it was a very, uh, for sometimes, a very embarrassing event that had happened to him, something that he didn't want to happen but was forced upon him. And in response to this tragic event and trauma that he had experienced early on in life, he decided that the best way to, to deal with his pain inwardly was to use drugs, alcohol, and to, to respond to life with violence. So as he got older, he joined a biker gang. We got to do more of the same things, get involved with drugs, alcohol, and violence. When he was 39 years old, he was on his way back. Uh, across country driving a load of drugs, and he was high at the same time when he crossed through northern Illinois. And there, uh, the police stopped him, found he was high, found the drugs on him. Ultimately, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. While he was in prison, his drugs came out of his system. He got clean, and a Gideon missionary showed up one day and walked over to him and said, I feel like the Lord wants me to talk to you. Now, in response, he said he couldn't figure out why God wanted to talk to him. He had already seen the judge. Why would God have anything to say to him? Because in his mind, all he could think about was that God had one big stick that he wanted to beat him with. But the missionary said God doesn't have one stick. He has two, and Christ used them to form a cross, which he died on for your sins. And God is willing to forgive you for all the wrong that you have done. And then he went on to explain how God had loved him through Christ. And that if he placed his faith in Christ, his sins could be forgiven. And then he gave him, as you see on the screen, a Gideon's testament. He told him to read John, Acts, and Romans. Now, over the next several months, he read those uh, letters and the Gospels repeatedly. John, Acts, and Romans, waiting for the bad weather to clear and for the missionary to return. But one night, something happened. While he was kneeling down by the toilet in the prison, he prayed in light of what he had read in John, Acts, and Romans, and prayed that Christ would save him from his sins and forgive him for all the wrong he had done in his life for all the years before. And he said something happened to him that night. And the way he described it was that he said he felt like as if someone lifted a dirty, heavy, wet blanket off of him and he was new. He didn't know how to explain it, but there was something different about him. He was different than he had been before. But the reason he was able to tell us because God had set him free from prison and today now he is a pastor of another church loving other people and sharing what God has done for him. Brothers and sisters, it may feel like at times that you're steady drawing threes, but I'm telling you, if you keep on pulling, keep on living, keep on trusting, trusting God, one day a two is coming and you'll see that God is going to bring not only you home, but he'll use you to bring someone else home. And that's why Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we do pray that, Lord, we would love and, and we must confess, Lord, that sometimes it is difficult to love other people. 
Sometimes people don't respond in the ways that we want them to respond, even though we show them acts of love, though we tell them about Christ. They don't always repent. And Lord, sometimes we feel like, Lord, that your way is not working. We can just focus on our own lives. But Lord, if we'll put our trust in you, we know that you will work through it because your plan is the right plan. And what was so amazing to me about what you did in Sorry, Lord, is that I didn't even know how the cars were arranged in the deck. But you knew. And I put my trust in you and you taught my kids a lesson and provided me with an illustration because you're just that awesome. And so, God, we thank you for how great you are and we trust you. And, Lord, we pray that you would help us as we leave this place today to live lives of love. And in doing that, we will show our love for you. We thank you, Lord, that we get a chance to express our love in a tangible way by sharing the gifts and resources that you've given to us to pull them together in an offering to give to our local church so that our leaders can make decisions about how to help our community, how to help our missionaries, and how to help those who are struggling. We thank you that you bless us to be able to do this. We pray that you would bless this offering that we're about to receive here in a moment so that we can serve you well in this world while we have our time on planet Earth. We give you the glory. We give you the honor. And we give you the praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen.